from him who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would have eternal life. And from him who is in this world but is not of this world. Come on, grace, mercy, and peace to all of you today. Amen. It's our gospel lesson from John chapter 17 and our second reading from 1 John chapter 5 that serves as the basis for our message today. So today we, we find ourselves listening in with the disciples on another of Jesus' prayers. And in some regards, Jesus is giving us another example of how to pray, kind of like when he taught us the Lord's Prayer. But before we get to that and focus on that, I want to ask you a couple questions this morning. How exactly do you pray? What are some things that you pray for? Perhaps you pray for healing of relationships or better health or better job. Maybe you ask for unity in your own families. Or maybe you're like me and don't ask for certain things anymore. I admit it. There's a couple things that I have stopped asking God for over the years in prayer. One of them is patience. I gave up that prayer a long time ago because you know that that's the one thing that God will allow you to be taught in abundance. And I don't mean that to be funny. I just mean that it takes a lot of patience in life, and there are a lot of challenges in this world that will teach you patience along the way. The second thing I stopped praying for is for God to remove every challenge in my daily life out of my way. And you know that this world is filled with challenges. I gave that prayer up as well because it's almost like praying for patience. It took diving into Scripture to figure out why I needed to give up praying to be removed from this world on my own accord. Why I wanted to be removed from it now rather than at the appointed time that God has already set aside. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask God for things, that we shouldn't pray for a cure to cancer or an end to the violence in this world or or troubles and whatnot. That's not what I'm saying at all. Because it takes a lot of faith to pray to God, to realize that God is our only source of hope, that he's the only solution to the end of all of our troubles. But what I am saying is that Maybe rather than asking God to remove all these things out of our lives, these things that teach us wisdom, that, that, that teach us and give us a testimony to the power and the glory of God, if we allow him to teach us stuff, maybe what we ought to do is go to God and pray for strength to meet these challenges head on in our lives. And that's what I now ask for. And so what in the world caused me to change my prayer all those years ago? Well, let's get back to the prayer that Jesus is praying today. We get to listen to in on a portion of that prayer today. It's a part of a prayer that that takes up the entire 17th chapter of John, verses 1 to 26. It's a prayer that's known as the high priestly prayer. And you break this prayer down into three parts. The first part, verses 1 to 5, is, uh, focuses on the, the glorification of Jesus. Verses 6 to 19 focus on Jesus' concerns for his disciples. That's the portion that we listen in on today. 
And then verses 20 to 26 focus on the disciples' unity and mutual love that Jesus prays for. This prayer that we listen in on today occurs in the upper room on that last supper, the night before his crucifixion. And in the portion of prayer we hear today, we find that Jesus himself not even ask God for the disciples to be removed from the world. He doesn't even ask for the disciples to be removed from challenges. Now, he didn't use the word challenge here, but he does says this in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I wonder what the disciples thought when they heard Jesus utter those words especially maybe knowing that Jesus was going to die the next day. Maybe they were expecting Jesus to come back right away and remove them from all the troubles and defeat all the enemies. And I, remember, I wonder how we feel some 2,000 years later as we listen to those words, how we might feel about Jesus uttering those words to God, not asking for the disciples to be removed from the world. You know, we live in this world that's broken and full of oppression and hatred and violence and you name it, challenge after challenge. And I wonder how you feel. I wonder if you feel like I feel, where some days when I just look up to God and say, okay, enough, please come back now, I'm ready, I want out. So why in the world would Jesus pray that? And here are some other head-scratching things that Jesus says in in this prayer today. Earlier in his prayer, in in verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. In verse 9, Jesus says, I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Again, Jesus says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 16. And then in verse 18, As you have sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. All right, so Jesus says that those given to him came from the world, but are not of the world, but he's going to leave them into the world. He's going to send them into a world, a world that hates them, and a world that he doesn't pray for, nor does he pray for his disciples to be removed from that world. What in the world is Jesus talking about today in this prayer? It's in the portion of prayer we hear today that Jesus uses the word world some 11 times. And in the whole high priestly prayer, he uses that word world 18 times. I think it behooves us to look deeper into the meaning of the word world and to understand the context that Jesus is talking about today. The Greeks have a few different words for that word world. The first word they use is oikumene which refers to the first century Roman Empire. So sometimes we'll see that word in there, and it refers to a time frame or to the empire itself of the Romans. The second word that they have is aion, which basically means a time frame, an age, a generation. And then there is the word cosmos, which is used today. And even that word cosmos can refer to a few different things. Most often it refers to the ungodly to those who are hostile to Jesus and his mission. Sometimes it does refer to the universe, to creation, to all of mankind. But it's in this part of the prayer we hear today that cosmos is used. 
And I think it might explain why Jesus doesn't pray for the world earlier in his prayer, but rather he prays for the disciples themselves. I think it's prudent to be crystal clear on something here. The ungodly, the alienated, the corrupt are those who hate the disciples, who have been seduced by the evil one, who have been corrupted by worldliness itself. They totally reject Jesus. Somebody once asked me, I'm not lying, somebody once asked me if I had ever considered praying for the devil like you would pray for somebody else. And I said, absolutely. I pray that he would just get out of my life. Because I'm worn out. I'm tired of being influenced by him. I'm tired of seeing what he causes in this world. And I cannot wait for Jesus to vanquish that old evil foe. So while that may make sense why Jesus wasn't praying for the world, because now we have an understanding of what, you know, what world means in this context, there's still a lot of explaining to do to make sense of how the disciples can be from this world, but no longer be, or be in this world, no longer be of the world, and as they came from the world. So since creation is corrupted by sin, a sin, remember, that started in the Garden of Eden, then the whole world is corrupted by that sin, which means we all once came from the world. I realize in our baptisms that sin was taken away. And God plucked us out of that world and brought us into his kingdom. So we belong to God's world now. But we still live in the world. We're still influenced by worldliness and things of that nature. We're saints and sinners at the same time. In other words, we're believers who no longer completely reject God, uh, though we still remain in the world. We belong to him, which is great. And that answers some more of this prayer, but it still doesn't answer why Jesus prayed that the disciples remain in the world. Why Jesus sent them back into the world. So Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And it's right here as a clue. Why did Jesus get sent into the world by God? All you got to do is look at the most famous verse from John 3.16. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, so that whoever may believe in him would have eternal life. That's Jesus' mission. That's why God sent Jesus into the world. Now, we might have to do a little further reconciling here, right? We're not supposed to love the world. (laughs) We're not supposed to be of the world anymore, right? God detests the world, but how can he turn around and say that he so loved the world? Head scratcher? Well, think about it. The other part of cosmos is God's creation, mankind. And it's mankind, his creation, the crowning jewel of his creation, mankind, that he loves, that he desires to have a reconciliation with, that he wants that restoration with. It's all the other stuff that he can't stand. The worldliness, the corruption, all those things that separate us and divide us from God. So yes, God does love his people. He does love the world. And so if Jesus got sent into the world and we belong to Jesus, then this is why Jesus is sending us back into the world why we remain here today, to spread the gospel, to spread that message of hope and eternal life 
that we all get to enjoy. It's to give testimony. It's what First John 5 speaks about. The testimony of God has born concerning his son. It says, and this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And so here we are today, Christians that came from the world, but are no longer of the world, but are living in the world, surrounded by problems, often worn out by the ceaseless attacks of Satan, sometimes wanting to throw in the towel, or look up to heaven and say, okay, God, any day now. But we're sent to testify to the world through our words and our actions that we have eternal life and that Christ is the only way the only way to eternal rest. So what do we do? How are we supposed to live? What does this look like then? And what kind of testimony are we giving off to the world in our daily lives? I read an article about a week ago. I found it in the opinion section of uh, Fox News. It was about a man named Daniel Ritchie who was born with no arms. And he tells this story, he goes around speaking at churches, and he tells a story about how he had to learn how to adapt his life, knowing that he was different from other people. So he, he learned to be, uh, have dexterity with his feet. He started being able to grip a fork and a spoon and all that and be able to eat with his feet. He's able to comb his hair and even brush his teeth. But he says in learning to adapt to how God made him, he found out just how cruel the world can really be. He gets called freak and gross and disgusting from time to time. People hurl insults at him. His family even got kicked out of a restaurant one time because he was eating with his feet. It's the only way that he can nourish himself. And he, he says this. He says, after a while, he says the stares and the insults and the, world, the words began to trickle into his conscience, altering his self-worth and eroding any foundation of value that he had. He says, I was beginning to succumb to the course of negativity. I was different, and apparently that's a bad thing. And it was when he turned to Scripture that his whole view started to change about himself and about the world. He encountered Psalm 139, the words that written by David about how he was fearfully and wonderfully made, how he was knitted together in the womb by God. And then he says, I was no longer who people said I was. I was who God said I was. And he goes on to say that he began to see others in the world as wonderful too, just as God sees them. And that each and every life has God-given value that we must acknowledge. And it doesn't stop there, he says. Mr. Ritchie says that we're commanded to go and love these people as well. These very people that insult us and and you know, try to devalue our lives. That we have to first see people as God sees people. And then we can approach them in dialogue. So why, why am I bringing this up? What does this have to do with what we're talking about in the world today? I bring it up for this one simple reason. Because no matter where, what station you're at in life, as a Christian, oftentimes the world will see us as different. And apparently to most of the world, the corrupt world, that's a bad thing. But as a Christian, God sees us differently. God sees us as redeemed. We aren't who the world says we are, 
We are who God says we are. And it's that message of hope and that love that we have in our lives that we're to take out into the world. No matter what we encounter, we remain, though, called to bear witness of the hope that we have in the kingdom of God. Even in a world that hates us at times, in a world that seeks to corrupt us, that would challenge our Christian beliefs and our ways. We remain, though, under the protection of God, who Jesus prayed to in the upper room, praying for the disciples not to be removed from the world, but that God would keep them from the evil one. We also remain sanctified in truth, radiant in his glory and in his holy name. So let not the troubles of this world discourage you. Let us not question God or groan to be removed from this world until that appointed time. But let us live bearing the testimony and the greatness and the glory of God to this world, no matter the challenge, with the confidence that we have eternal life. And let us pray to God for strength to do that, no matter what we encounter in this world, knowing that we can ask anything according to His will and He will hear us. Because we are no longer of this world, my friends. We belong to God's world to his glory. Amen.